Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, and I'm broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Season 3 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing us to continue to celebrate and support great writing and to serve our community. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Today, we're bringing you a conversation between Judy Trin, an investigative journalist with CBC News and longtime friend of the festival, and Anne Shin. Anne is a filmmaker and award-winning writer. Her documentary, My Enemy, My Brother, was shortlisted for an Academy Award and nominated for an Emmy. And her documentary, The Defector, Escape from North Korea, won seven awards, including Best Documentary and Best Documentary Director at the Canadian Screen Academy Awards. Her debut novel, The Last Exiles, is an unforgettable saga inspired by true events, a searing portrait of a young couple in Pyongyang and their fight for love and freedom. Here's their conversation. And it is such a pleasure to be talking to you about your book. Um, this is beautiful, The Last Exiles. It is your first novel. And one of the things that I always like to speak to authors about is their creative process. Tell me how you made the transition from someone who is a poet and a documentary filmmaker to a author of a novel. It was long and a path riddled with failure as well. So it took a long time. I, uh, I've been, I, I think poetry was my first love. Um, and then I was writing fiction as well. And I actually attempted a novel years ago about a Portuguese Canadian woman with a, you know, this immigrant family that she had, um, she had altercations with and was trying to forge her own life. But that um, that never found a home. It never found a home with a publisher. And uh, I got some great notes from an editor on how to revise it. But at that time, already my second novel idea was coming to me. And so I thought I, I could either spend the time to revise the first novel or should I go with this other novel, which is a bit closer to home, which is about North Koreans. And I'm a South Korean background, but my family, um, they were affected by the Korean War and the division of the North and South. And so I have a lot of that kind of family history that I carry within me. Um, so I was trying to decide whether I should revise the first one or work on the second one. And the editor said, you know, the second novel idea sounds really good. <laughs> and so she encouraged me to go with that. And that's, that's how I started. So I've been writing on the side anyway. Um, but it was, you know, a story that was kind of close to home that really helped me get committed and, and really work through a manuscript. You know, you say it's closer to home. So the words should flow easier because you understand uh, the people involved more. Is, is that how it works? Um, there's something that uh, like, well, Korea, when we, when Koreans call their country, we call it Hanguk, right? And Han, the word is, um, it ha it's, it, it's like longing and kind of like a, 
long suffering and maybe a tinge of bitterness. Those are all the words associated with the word Hun, right? And so people will sometimes say you have Hun for the for their home country and, and that kind of thing. And um, I feel that that spirit is the same between North Koreans and South Koreans. I think we all have this Hun. Um, I think so that's why writing about North Korea, it, it, it felt like it was closer to home to me because the characters, the families, the parents' expectations and the kids' aspirations all felt like, you know, this is something that I could relate with and other Korean Canadians could relate with. I think actually any, any immigrant, <laughs> any immigrant family can relate with it. Absolutely. I, I want to uh, ask you about how you drew inspiration uh, for this book. It wasn't just, you know, it's your it's your cultural background as well, but you actually interviewed uh, some defectors. So so part of this and what what why it resonates so much, it, it sounds like almost a a historical novel. Yeah, there was a lot of historical research I did and on the ground present day research. Um, it's great talking to you about it, Judy, because you're a documentary producer and, and filmmaker. Um, and I am as well. That's my, that's the other hat that I wear. And at one point I called it my day job and I guess it is my day job. Um, but um, I, when I started researching for this book, I found that there were a lot of North Koreans living in Canada and I started to speak to them and they connected me to a network of people across Canada and the States and in Asia in China and into North Korea, people who were helping North Korean defectors who, you know, who needed aid to find uh, refuge and safe asylum. Uh, and as I've discovered this, I was like, wow, my documentary brain kicked in and was like, I was telling myself, this is really a compelling documentary subject too. And so I ended up pitching it as a documentary while I was researching and taking notes for my book and ended up doing the documentary, which entailed me going embedded with North Korean defectors who I met at the border of North Korea and China. And we met at a little farmhouse and from that farmhouse uh, and around bowls of kanji where we sat and met and talked, I embarked on a 3000 mile journey with them you know, across Asia into Southeast Asia as they escaped their country. So everything that I experienced on that trip uh, that I was, that was, I was doing as I was filming the documentary fed into my writing because I was, I was, you know, I was escaping, I, I was on the run with them. I was undercover in China. So whether it was bowls of noodle soup that we're eating in safe houses, or if it was like sitting in a bus remaining quiet so that authorities couldn't tell that we were not Chinese. These were all things that I experienced and those feelings and those sensations really fed into my writing. Before I ask uh, you more questions about the book, um, I was wondering if there is a selection or a, uh, a portion of the book that you'd like to read for us. Um, sure. Uh, there's, you know, something happens in the book where near the beginning where Jin's family, their cornmeal is confiscated and it's their ration. They have no other food and desperate to recover it, Jin goes to get it. But in, in doing so, he gets into big trouble and gets hit. And um, he ends up having to go back to Pyongyang and try and 
where his studies are at a, a university in Pyongyang. And he has to try and pretend nothing happened because he's worried about being discovered by the authorities. And so um, Suja, his girlfriend, and frankly, all of his classmates notice the big bruise on his face. And, and, and she says to him, they're in a they're in the dark room together. She's a photographer, she's a photojournalist. And uh, she asks him something. She says, what happened? Jin weighed the moment. They were alone in the dark room. If there was a time he could tell her, it would be now, here. But when he thought about the possible consequences of telling her, the chain of events that could unfold if she were to one day be interrogated, and the different outcomes that could transpire between them and between each of them in the state. He said, nothing, nothing happened. Don't lie. He shook his head. Suja was quiet. There were things you didn't speak about among friends or even within your own family. You learned to devote them to the darkness and carry them within you silently, pushing them down, making them smaller and darker still. The fabric of life in North Korea was riddled with dark holes, and yet somehow it held together. And um, that's a great passage. And it, um, you know, at the core of your novel, it is a story, it is a, a love story. But also, it's one of the things that struck me was these familial ties. Um, when I was growing up, I was raised by my grandmother. And one of the stories that she told me was this um, sort of a, a morality story, I guess, an Aesop fable type story about a, uh, a son who was given everything, who was spoiled rotten by his mother. Uh, his father had died at a young age, so his mother just wanted to lavish all her love and let him get away with everything. He turned out to be, he went from a, being a petty criminal to becoming a, a murderer. And then he was sentenced to death. And on his last day on earth, before he was uh, to be, uh, to die of capital punishment, his mother approaches him in his cell and hugs him and says, I love you. You will always be my son. I am proud of you. And the son bites his mother until he draws blood and says, what have you done? What a terrible mother you are. You did not discipline me. You did not show me the straight and narrow. And this, you have, you are responsible for my death. And that there's a scene in your book um, in which the, Jin's father is asked to beat him. And he is just beating him and his his mentality is such that I have to show that I am hurting causing as much pain to my son because if I turn him over to these strangers these soldiers he will be hurt that much more and I yeah. was so pained reading it because I wondered what is Jin thinking does he know that this is coming from a place of love yeah it's a. Uh, I'm so glad you brought up that scene because Jin had been caught by authorities and to punish him and the family they put them in front of a crowd of people and told the father, okay, punish your son if you, you know, if you believe what he did was wrong. And so his father has to hit him and the, the soldier, the, the officer keeps goading the father on, hit him harder, harder. And the father is, he's torn, his heart is breaking because he's having to beat his son. 
And yet he's he's afraid for his son. He's worried that, like you said, the soldiers might even if he has if if the officer's unhappy with the, how he's disciplining his son, the, the the soldiers would take over and they would surely beat him to death. And poor Jin, he's having to knuckle into his pain until it becomes just this irreducible point of pain. He's he's cut off and and it's just uh, you know a, a poignant moment of of the two solitudes, the father and son, this love, but also this incredible pain that's having to happen between them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a scene that I, I, that came to me that was really kind of um, and de- that was emblematic to me of what often happens in North Korea where people have to knuckle down and keep silent and do things that might harm those they love because they're being watched by the party. Mm. It's, you know, it's a regime of terror. And so this kind of thing happens. Um, I also wanted to uh, mention that that fable you brought up at the beginning when you started telling me, sharing that fable about the son who, you know, whose mother didn't discipline her properly. My dad used to tell me that all the time. It's <laughs> so wild. It's so great. That was something I heard as a kid. And my, it was like my dad was saying, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm disciplining you so <laughs> for your own good. Yes, <laughs> you absolutely. won't end up in jail on death row one day. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, you, you know, you bring, you, you bring that up in terms of uh, this pair of lovers, uh, Jin and Suja, right? They obviously love each other, but it all, your novel also raises that question. They love each other, and you, in, in, our, in our westernized thinking, we think uh, love is true honesty and open relationship. You would never hold anything back. But they are deliberately holding information back from each other in order to keep each other safe. So that explores themes of of trust. How did you reconcile that? And how did you want to, how did you want your reading audience to feel? It was, um, I, I wanted people to be touched by how careful the couple had to be within the context of the North Korean society regime. And the considerations that a couple has to make, you know, they had to withhold information to protect each other. And, and they also had to trust that, you know, each, they both, that they each had the best interest for at heart. And so um, it's, and what what else was the other thing that I want to get across with this, um, these two characters, Suja and Jin was, the different classes that are in North Korea now. Suja is an upper class Pyongyang resident. Her parents are part of the intelligentsia and she's got it made in the shade as far as her career and her future. Jin comes from a rural small town and he only ended up in Pyongyang by dint of sheer work and smarts. He studied, he got a scholarship and it's almost, it's like that immigrant dream. I'm going to make something of myself. And that's what he had hoped for. He was like, I finally arrived in Pyongyang, which was like the pinnacle of achievement for a rural boy in North Korea. And then he loses it all and ends up having to escape his country. And so we watch Jin having to redefine himself and rebuild the sense of who he is as he's on the escape and has to live underground in China and faces some pretty dire moral dilemmas, you know? In your book, um, you give us a sense of what 
the citizens are thinking. And I found it fascinating that even in the way you reveal how uh, Jin and Suja realize, you know, what is going on, that what they're being told by the state broadcaster is not what's really happening. Uh, I was just wondering in terms of the defectors you spoke with, like, were they aware as well that things were not as rosy as what their government, as what their dictator, what Kim Jong-il uh, was saying? That, you know, um, it, 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 for me, it was a, a revealing moment because it was like these, these individuals, these the North Koreans are, are not uneducated. They are just so fearful that they cannot, uh, you know, speak the truth. A bit of both. I found that some of the defectors I, I met, and I met with like five women and a couple men. Uh, this is on the escape. Um, I met many other defectors as well in the United States and in Canada. But I found that some of them had a, a kind of like a just um, a very kind of basic understanding of the media environment that they grew up in. They didn't really um they didn't really uh question the worldview that the north korean media presented to them but they began to notice that you know when like when they were jailed for small crimes they felt that it was unjust and you know that was for a couple that was what motivated them to escape for a couple it was just they needed to find work and then there were a couple who who had a sense of they're not telling us the full story. We don't know the full story, but we know we've seen those soap operas, those South Korean soap operas, and it seems like life is better in South Korea as opposed to what the state media is telling me, which is that people are suffering in South Korea worse than here, you know? So some people, so I would say that there's a bit of a spectrum of um, how much people know or don't know about what's going on in the outside world. But uh, as, as you had pointed out, they're all, having to live with the fear of, of you know being punished so even if you did know that the state was lying to you you couldn't do or say anything about it you had to pretend that everything was copacetic why did you want to put dear leader as well as his son in the novel oh yeah i um i wanted to i had originally well, you know, writing a novel is so much like life. Uh, yeah, you spend your first half of your life really building out your life and adding new things. And then the second half of your life, you have to kind of start paring away or, you know, pruning. And that certainly happened with me with this novel. I had um, written Kim Jong-il as a, as a whole character and Kim Jong-un, his son, as a whole character. I like, I follow him to Bern, Switzerland, where he's a, a teenager who's a bit overweight, but loves basketball. He likes Strusel and he has a, he's a Portuguese friend who's a diplomat's son and no one knows he's the son of a dictator. Like it was a lot of fun actually to be inside um, their, their minds, to write their points of view. Um, but as I worked with my editor, Erica Imrani, um, she pointed out that the heart, the emotional heart of the book was in the story between Jin and Suja. So then I had to pare away a lot of the chapters of about Jin, Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il 
and focus on them. But originally it was going to be the story of three people coming of age with Kim Jong-il as their dear leader, dear father. So it was going to be Kim Jong-un as one of the kids, Suja and Jin. So that was the original conception of the book, but it's changed. And I have to say, like writing from the perspective of a dictator is like walking into a fun house, you know, <laughs> creatively speaking. You have no limits. You have, you know, immeasurable amounts of money and power. And so you you're in the head of this character as a writer and it takes you into some very strange places. It, it was quite the quite fun, actually. <laughs> yeah. The um, some of your most uh, beautiful passages in the book, I felt uh, centered around food, you know, just like the simple pleasures of uh, is it sharing, sharing the dessert? Is it called Duke? Duck. Am I saying right? Duck. Duck. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the, the one description of how um, Jin's mother was just collecting pine bark and it was yeah. just, it was just so heart wrenching just to imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Why, why did you want to focus on that and, and use it almost as a, you know, all that moment of crisis begins with food and starvation? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you stated it like no one else has so far. Thank you. Yeah, the moment of crisis starts with food. It's just like, you know, the characters in my book and all the North Korean defectors I've met with, they would have put up with everything oh they do put up with almost everything except for when their life is at threat it's like they're so desperate what can what can i do to survive and so uh jin's mom mrs park is having they like many north koreans they end up having they scrape the inner bark of pine which is the soft yellow inner bark and they use those shavings to make a porridge and if they have cornmeal they'll add to it of course you don't get much nutritional value from this pine bark shavings and it's hard on your intestines but at least it's something you can put in there to make yourself feel full so that's what a lot of people do and um there there's a lot of memories i think that we each have around food and i found that you know showing the comfort food for these people elicits the same kind of nostalgia and longing and the same feelings for other readers who might not know what duck is, which is like a soft, sweet rice, rice cake. Uh, but at least they will understand, you know, the significance of that, of that food. And so like the significance of that comfort food. And so it's a way to relate with the characters, even though you have never stepped foot in North Korea, you can totally relate with why this comfort food is so important to these people or what it's like to have to forage like if you can imagine like if you had to go and forage from the forest what would you have what would you resort to eating what um the other theme was uh you know there is this hope that uh when uh, uh kim jong-il passes away and uh, kim jong-un uh, comes to power that this younger uh, this new generation might afford uh, this country new hope, new prosperity. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Why it was important for you to put that put that in in parallel with uh, Jin and Suja's story? Yeah. Um, when Kim Jong Un came into power, I think the whole world was watching on tenterhooks. They were hoping. I think the defectors that I knew were hoping that the regime might topple, but of, but of course it didn't. 
And I think that the world was hoping that Kim Jong-un, who had been educated in Switzerland, might be a little bit more open, a little bit more progressive. And I think that there was that sense of, is change possible here? That was in the air. And I wanted to capture that. And it was, it was a bittersweet moment for the defectors that I spoke to. And it was the bittersweet moment for Jin and Suja who escaped at that time. When they realize they're, they're in uh, Southeast Asia in this hut and there's a, a, a small TV and they're seeing this broadcast of Kim Jong-il's funeral. And they're realizing with a great deal of heartbreak that this was the author, this man was the author of their destiny. It was because of him that they had gone through such an arduous journey and escaped and left their families. And now he was dead and going to be buried in the ground. And they thought, oh, you know, if only, if only we could have held on a bit longer, could we be still be with our families? Or, you know, maybe they're hoping we might be the last exiles that have to leave North Korea. But of course, the sad truth is they are certainly not the last. Hmm. I have to say that reading your book reminded me of the, um, we used to watch uh, uh, soap operas uh, from uh, South Korea, from Taiwan, uh, and from China. And one of the themes that always pops up is just like suffering, right? But it's just continuous suffering. And you just want your heroes to win something, to, to you know, to get some type of victory. And uh, when did you how did you balance that because there is a lot of suffering you yeah know? yeah yeah <laughs> how do you write about you know suffering and pain and and still like give some reprieve and and yeah that was definitely something i thought about a lot too because you know people who've come through a lot they will still retain their sense of humor it's in our nature to you know to to be to be able to be resilient and to rise up and so i wanted to show that that um you know there are even now i see footage from the chinese border shot by chinese people film filmed by chinese people who have long lenses who can capture life in the north korean side of the border and it's it's you know we can see roofs that are like corrugated tin that are not, it's, it's like a shanty town, like the houses are in pieces. And yet the kids are playing in the puddles between the houses and they're having fun. And I think that's what I wanted to really get at. Like, it's astonishing how humans in whatever situation will find moments of joy, will find a reason to have a game or to find, you know, to play and, have all the emotions that we all do all around the world. And that's why I'm hoping, you know, Jin and Suja are universal characters. This is your debut novel, but you you left the ending open-ended, you know, for the possibility of a, uh, a follow-up. Um, that was deliberate? Uh, yes, it was. Um, not necessarily because I had a sequel planned, but because I had actually written other chapters, I actually, they come to Canada, you know, and, you know, Jin, I, I won't spoil it, but Jin comes by container ship first. And there's a whole, there was a whole bunch of chapters that I'd written. And um, I worked with uh, another editor previously who had 
who was saying, you know, this is a really, really long manuscript. And the momentum seems to wane after they make it to Southeast Asia. And so I, I thought, wow, yeah, maybe I should just focus on that moment because that's the moment where you understand that leg of their journey is done and you, you know that they're safe. And so um, that's how I ended up you know, stopping the story there. But it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of novelists will say that the characters are, they're kind of, they inhabit your mind and they have a life of their own. And so in that respect, I feel like Jin and Suja, their, their journey is, is, is longer than the novel, but the novel encapsulates, you know, the important part of their journey. That's wonderful. And that's so exciting that we can expect a sequel. Well, I, I, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I'm actually working on another novel, but it's a different subject. So maybe I'll come back to this after that one. Let me ask you what, if there is one thing that you want your readers uh, to be left with, uh, one impression, what would that be? Um, I think it's maybe like how love really can conquer all that's it's a very it's, I can't you know it's a cliche and I think the reason why I say it here is because it's only because of the love that they have for one another that Suja and Jin survive the turmoil and the challenges that they face in the underground in China and in the black market and um, I think it, also this book is written out of love for North Koreans and for my ancestors. And it, it, it's, it's the love that, um, you know, motivates me as a writer and wants, makes me want to research more and tell the story with more fidelity and to sp spread it to others. And so I get, I think that might be the thing, you know, love is important in this journey of freedom for these two. Thank you very much, Amshin, for bringing us these two characters. Jin Thank and you. This is such an enjoyable conversation. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you, Judy. That was the CBC's Judy Trin in conversation with Ann Shin about her debut novel, The Last Exiles. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation and take a moment to rate and review the podcast in your podcasting app. I'm told that helps spread the word. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubay. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.